Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. Um, my name is Kylie Miller. I'm the agent in Catahoula Concordia Parish and I guess we can go around the room with agents first and then we'll introduce our special guests. Hi, so, Frazier, county agent in East Carroll and Madison Parish. Dennis Burns, county agent in Tinsall Parish. Bruce Garner, county agent in West Carroll and Morehouse Parish. Well, that is our crew here today, yes. uh, as I've been labeling it. Um, and today, I guess our special guest is Dr. Brenda Ortiz, and we are glad to have you today. We're at the uh, the Precision. What are we calling Precision this Ag Summit? Isn't Let it? me look it up. Let's see. We're at the 2023 Precision Ag Summit here at Dean Lee at the Evac Center. And uh, Miss Brenda, we're happy to have you on. And I guess let's start by telling us about yourself and um, your career. Okay, thank you so much for the invitation. And uh, as I said this morning during my presentation, uh, being in Louisiana is meeting uh, with all time friends. Uh, I have met uh, R- RL and, uh, and Dennis for a long time. We have worked uh, together on on some issues related to variability of root node nematode in cotton and um, I'm happy to be here, happy to share uh, my thoughts on the role of digital agriculture, uh, not only to increase uh, profitability, productivity, but also strengthen uh, sustainability. So I am a professor and extension specialist uh, at Auburn University in the Crop, Soil, and Environmental Sciences Department. I have been at Auburn University for 14 years, but working in precision agriculture over 25 years. So, yes, I, I, I always say I, I look young, but, you know, the ID says something else. Uh, I work primarily with producers at their farms right now. So I still do things at the experiment stations uh, across uh, Alabama, but to really uh, learn what farmers need uh, and the opportunities and the role of Precision Ag in uh, increasing profitability, productivity, and uh, protecting the environment, I think that uh, working with the farmers at their farm gives us a different perspective of things. So happy to be here. Yeah. Well, what was, uh, you said you've been in Precision Ag for, for quite some time. How did you get started? Uh, I was talking with one of uh, the assistant professors at, here at LSU, and I was telling them a few minutes ago my, my story. Um, I got interested in precision agriculture when I was a graduate student. I am an agricultural engineer from Colombia. Um, and I am coming from the state called Cauca Valley, Valle del Cauca, uh, which uh, the main, uh, the, the primary crop planted on the valley is sugarcane. So I'm not a strange to sugarcane, and sugarcane is, is, I would say, is part of my DNA. It's what <laughs> makes us in our region in Colombia, you know, happy people, and uh, so is that, is that sugar. So, um, I, as an undergraduate in Colombia, I got interested in precision agriculture 
and I knew that the sugarcane industry was putting um, a lot of efforts and, and some funding on developing uh, precision ag areas uh, to support research and also producers. So I started uh, with the sugarcane industry there, working for the Colombian Sugarcane Research Center. The name is Senicaña. And Senicaña has, uh, over the years, have had a very good working relationship with LSU, initially through the breeding program, but also through the uh, industrial processing, uh, you know, programs. Uh, to support, you know, the processes at the mills, but also the research that is linked to the processes done at the mills, you know, the in, at that time and, and still today, you know, it's in, important to look at all the, all the things along the chain and the value chain. So that's how I started. I worked there uh, for eight years and then I came to the U.S. to get my Ph.D. I got a Ph.D. from uh, University of Georgia. So through my work at the University of Georgia during my Ph.D. was was focused on the use of soil electrical conductivity to map cotton fields and look at risk areas for root node nematodes. That's how I met uh, R.L. And, and Dennis because they were working with some of the plant pathologists here on, on, on a similar topic. That was back in 2006, 2007, even before. So, uh, and uh, again, I, I, work, I have worked in all the, I would say, almost all crops, all row crops planted in the Southeast and looking at, you know, how we can integrate precision agriculture into uh, crop management. I have worked... Uh, using precision agriculture and technologies to support management of, of nematodes on cotton. Uh, I have worked looking at uh, aflatoxin uh, on peanuts and corn. Uh, again, mapping, mapping the fields, uh, using remote sensing, thermal imagery, uh, um, right now, I work a lot on irrigation, especially precision irrigation, uh, variable rate irrigation, irrigation scheduling. Uh, I have work. Uh, I have a new project that is looking into use of uh, drone images and satellite images for the prediction of uh, maturity on peanut, because peanut grows underground. And then uh, the, the way to determine when to dig a field is using what is called the hull scrape method that basically you scratch the nuts and the, based on the color of that uh, tissue, uh, you decide whether or not your field is ready to be harvested. But again, this is a very still it works, but it's an empirical method, and it's going to be based on who is classifying those nuts uh, after the whole scrape method, until after you scrape the nut, uh, and then those those that sample that sample of peanuts is coming from, you know, a few plants within a field, but we know that not every field is uniform. There is variability 
within a field. So depending on where you collected the sample is your assessment of maturity. So uh, again, I'm, I'm, I, I'm very committed to, to working with farmers and, and help them through the use of technologies in agriculture. You, you, you mentioned peanuts. We, <coughs> Morehouse Parish, me and Arnold are probably the two county agents in, in the state that have peanuts. Um, he uh, mentioned that to me last night. Yeah. We were having a conversation about that. So that, that's that's interesting because I, I get calls. Part part of what I do for my peanut producers is is go out and blast the peanuts, put them in a, put them in a basket, take a pressure washer. Um, we've learned not to use the the, the biggest most powerful pressure washer. Yes, yeah, we learned that. We learned that too. Because, we learned because that you too. make peanut butter, <laughs> yes. very soupy peanut butter. But but it's interesting that you, you talk about because that because that's always been my my kind of my concern is working with the the peanut producers. To say, okay, that's a snapshot of this small section of this field. Yes, correct. So that that that's that's very interesting of, of looking at a peanut field. That is, it is a challenge. I mean, for, for my guys, a couple of them say, well, we'll start digging peanuts when we finish cutting corn. I was like, whoa, we, we're leaving yield in the field. We are. We are leaving yield in two ways, and let me tell you why. Uh, two ways. One is. You, you harvest when they, they may be over mature, right. and then when you dig, you leave a lot on the ground right. Right. because they disattach from the peg. Right. So that tissue is very dry, you know, is dead. Right. So you leave them in the field. That's uh, way number one that you lose. The other one is that you collect that sample, you collected those, those peanut pots, from, you know, they said 200 plants, 200, 200 pots right, right, right. from few plants. So from where you collected those plants, it can be, which is more convenient to us, that, okay, close to the row, or you, you walk a few feet inside the field. But it could be that that part of the field is mature. But what about the rest? Might not be mature yet, and then you said, I am digging. So I was talking to a South Alabama farmer last year, which we were having a cotton test, and we were planting. We were in the cap of that planter for eight hours. Eight hours, you talk a lot about crop management. <laughs> and I asked about his, his opinion on this project. And he said, Brenda, I guarantee you that the farmers harvest when the peanuts have not reached full maturity. Right. So are you, you are losing yield right. by harvesting probably too early. So I am, this is the second year on that project, uh, and we are using artificial intelligence uh, algorithms along with the drone images to predict the variability. Right. The variability in peanut maturity and also predict yield. So the other issue with peanuts is uh, there is no a peanut yield monitor. That's also part of the issue. You know, when you don't see, you know, you don't know what you don't see, what you don't measure. So, so uh, there are there is a um, arc engineer. is an assistant professor in biological and agricultural engineering at 
Biosystems Engineering, that's the name of the, the, the department, Biosystems Engineering at Auburn University. He is working with KMC, which is the, the company that, that uh, commercialized the, the diggers and, and several implements utilized in peanuts here in the Southeast. So they are working together on the development and design of a peanut yield monitor. So, uh, so we are we are working on this, and uh, uh, in fact, uh, I am organizing two precision agriculture workshops in in Alabama uh, this coming February. So, uh, one of the workshops is scheduled for February eighth uh, in North Alabama, Athens, Alabama, uh, and the second one is on South Alabama, Dothan very rich program as the one that you have here today and the preliminary results of that cotton peanut yield monitor will be presented at that uh, workshop in Dothan, Alabama, February 28th. So, have y'all, have you done any looking at the detection of, of, um, of white mold? And there are diseases in the field using using drone technology? No yet, no yet myself. I know there are other scientists that uh, are, are are doing that, you know. We we were the reason is asking we we working with a plant pathologist two two of my plant pathologists this year and it's it's always interesting. I I, I call one of them a bird dog, Dr. Boyd. <laughs> he can walk into a field and go, Oh here he is right here. And I uh, hope I, I, I hope he was here he really today. Yeah. Like I wanted that. I wanted to say hi to him. Yeah. Well, I I I, I, I didn't see I, him. I haven't seen him. But but Boyd can walk literally walk into a he peanut field and, and just say, oh, here, right here. Well, me and Dr. Price can wander around and check the field for two hours and maybe find one spot. Well, it was one afternoon. I, I'll tell this story real quick. That me and Trey were together checking the field. Boyd wasn't there, and we checked the plot, and then we went over and checked on the. A field the farmer asked us to look at, and at the same time, me and Trey finally got what to look for on the leaf surface, and that's what Boyd was seeing. He would see the the, the change in the leaf surface, the, a curl, a slight curl, and, a, and a, a slight discoloration, and it finally got to a point where we said, "That's what Boyd is seeing," because at that point. Me and Trey both were able to walk up and say, "Oh, here, right here." Yeah, if you don't know, you don't and know. It, yeah. And it's one of those. It was. It was almost, you know, one of those serendipity, epiphanies, whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the light. Went the on. light went on, and we at that point from there forward, we were able to walk through the field and find the spots of white mold. You know, it was. It was one of the, you go home in the afternoon. And say, I learned something new today. <laughs> but that's that is really interesting. Um, talking about you know using. The use of, of drone technology for harvesting peanuts. Otherwise, we don't have a whole lot of peanut acres it, statewide. But for me in my parishes, we've got peanuts, and that's that is. I know how big of a challenge that can be um, for my guys to to, to discern harvestability. Um, you know, I, I'll I'll hush up about my peanuts because we don't have that. You know, not not that big. Um, very. You, We've touched on variable rate a little bit, um, and I say variable. I, I, I leave that very open-ended because I've, some of the presentations we've seen today is variable rate fertilizer, variable rate um, herbicide. I mean, it's really interesting. Uh, some of the some of the topics that have came up, come out today. Um, you know, your thoughts on the. You know, I hate. To, I don't want to drop on you, but the economy behind 
variable rate technology. And, and in your presentation, you kind of touched on it. I mean, if you can't, if it doesn't touch you in the pocketbook, you may be interested in it. Um, in your in your work, have you seen that? You know, I know you have the the that that savings that puts more money in that. And I, and I hate to say savings because sometimes it takes a little bit of money to save money. I yeah, mean, but but the the thing is, is, sometimes we are we are the farmer is always gonna say, I will I will implement something that is going to increase my productivity so I can increase profitability. You know, I mean, that's the bottom line. No, that we are, this is a conversation among you, extension agents and me, uh, precision ag extension specialists, we know that that's the reality, okay? So, but I think that the the other side of, of the coin is that the use of precision ag technologies allow them to better place. Maybe at the end, you are not gonna save on the total input that you applied over the field, but your placement, you know, where you place them, uh, better allocation in some areas of the field that need more, and maybe cutting back on some areas that need less. You know, when you, at the end, it will be the same number, the same, the same total of nitrogen applied, or the same seed applied, but then the the differential application is what really matters at the end. You know, yes, I agree with you. If we can if we can cut back on on the rate, uh, you know, total rate that will be ideal. Uh, we know that we know that there are some areas that where we have a still that have still a lot of room for improvement. Uh, the cost of seed right. is one. You know, when you think of when you think on those, uh, you know, fixed cost. The cost of seed is a big one. You know, and then there are several factors that play a role on that. Is you can cut on your seed expenses by better allocating seeding rates within a field. And even though, in my opinion, that one is an easy to do, farmers don't do, the majority of the farmers don't do whatever they're seeding. I, I, I guess maybe they are afraid to change the rate in a portion of the field because they have been farming that field with that rate over a number of years, but I think that we need to really show that. And I think that everything starts with the seed and we learned this morning from the farmer, you know? Uh, the first farmer that, that I speak uh, this morning, no. I think that, uh, yes, that's, that's, that that's, was him. Uh, changing seeding rate, especially on corn, automatically should force the farmer to do variable rate nitrogen application. Because if you increase your seeding rate in some parts of the field, you need to increase, uh, you need to increase nitrogen rate. If you cut, if you cut 
seeding rate in some parts of the field that have very low yield potential or you have some issues with drainage where you know that the corn plants are going to have issues with the root structure, root development, you need to cut nitrogen on those areas. Why are you going to keep wasting, wasting nutrients in that area? It's not only money, it's also the environment. We have a responsibility, you know, uh, as society to protect the environment, to protect the environment for us so we can keep farming, protect the environment to, uh, for our families, for the future generation. So again, changing seeding rate, especially in corn, is gonna for should, should, should force us to make changes on nitrogen management and on water. Right. I know, again, if you do variable rate seeding on corn, it's because you know either, and, and, and hey, you might have the crystal ball that I don't have, but if you are doing variable residing on corn and relying on the rain, I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, you are you are betting on, on on something that you might not win all the time. So if you are changing to variable residing and variable rain nitrogen, you better have variable rain irrigation. So to increase. The, to change the, the irrigation rate, uh, you know, on some parts of the field compared to other parts of the field. Uh, on cotton, seeding, the seeding price on cotton is also, uh, is also very high. And then I have, I have my colleague, a cotton extension specialist, Dr. Steve Brown, that you all know. He said, Brenda, uh, cotton, uh, in the south of Alabama, light soils is not very responsive to seeding rates, but in North Alabama, more heavier soils it is. You have heavier soils here. So, you know, a variable rate seeding on, on cotton might be, might be an issue, might, be an, might give you an opportunity right there. Pesticides. I think that we really need to put more effort on variable rate application of pesticides because we all know the impact that pesticides have on human health and, and on the environment. So um, I think that there are a lot of opportunities uh, with the use of technologies and uh, that we can, you know, uh, take advantage on to increase you know, productivity and protect the environment, definitely. You touched on something there that I really like. Uh, <clears throat> I've been dealing with this. Every time you look, increase your seeding rates, increase seeding rates, increase your seeding rates, especially in corn. Salesman. Yes. Oh, this one will go to 38,000, 40,000, 42,000. But they never tell them to increase the fertilizer rate. You put that much more seed out there, you got to, you need fertilizer. Yes. So now you're adding seed cost. You're adding, if you do it right, you add fertilizer cost. And it comes back to what I said in the one term I learned in Ag Econ, point of diminishing returns. returns. You may increase your yield, but are you making money? Mm -hmm. Exactly. If yes. you can't make yes. money, if it's not putting more money in your pocket, maybe it's not for you. Back off on the yield. Back off on that. And you might see that bank account go up instead of down like you're afraid of. Well, what, what we need to, and, and putting all the 
kind of the extension hat for say is it in in my parishes and probably across across the nation is landowners you know we we as extension professionals yes, yes, and yes. that and that farmer needs needs to have the information at hand for that landowner to explain that to explain to that landowner what we're doing and why that field looks different mm-hmm. you know if, we, if, if that stand if they're used to seeing a stand that looks thick as a sugarcane field in corn and all of a sudden they see a stand that's more open well what's what's wrong with the field well there's nothing wrong with the field we've changed our practices a little bit and so it we have to be prepared kind of on two fronts. To explain, to, to explain e- the why. Well, the why. To explain the why, the, yes. What we're doing and why that field may look differently. And and explain, be, be ready to explain to that landowner, in the end, we're, we're doing this for, for the right reasons. We're doing it for resource management. We're doing it for fitting the crop to the ground. Uh, I use that term, you know, or we've talked about it before, we were just talking about seeding rates, I mean, and, and fertility. Can we take a piece of ground and push that piece of ground and make that piece of ground produce 250 bushel corn? Sure can. Are you, what you take into the bank at the end of the season? I mean, are you, are you going to make money off of that 250 bushel mm-hmm. corn? Or can we cut back and, you know, make more money at make, 200? You know, at 200 or 180 and at the end of the end of the season I got more money in the bank um, but that I'll climb off my soapbox there on, on, on that note um, so but enjoyed your comments thank you so much thank enjoyed you enjoyed your Anna. presentation today good to see you again it's been a few years I know. I made a note we're might try to come over on the 28th if things work out yes yes I am again I'm very happy to be here uh, to see new faces, yeah. uh, new extension agents for me, uh, and then I would say all friends. Uh, is is great to be here. Great to have the opportunity to exchange with all the participants of the 2023 uh, Precision Agriculture Summit uh, organized by LSU and uh, Fletcher Technical Community College and. Uh, Looking forward to continue the collaboration with you, the extension agents, uh, you know, LSU Extension and, and the faculty. I, I have a great conversation with Dr. Uh, Thanos Gentilis and, and I, know, uh, I know Dr. Luciano uh, Sirasucci very well and as well as Dr. Brenda Tubana. So uh, great to be here and uh, looking forward to continue the collaboration with you. Thank you Thank for being you. on. We appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local extension office.